0: The title of my message this morning is When Herod Finally Met Jesus. That's an interesting topic for Christmas Day. When Herod finally met Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verse 8 is my main text. Luke 23, verse 8, I read the New King James Version and the New English Translation. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. In the New English translation, it reads, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some miraculous sign. The name Herod This family name looms large in the four Gospels. And in the book of Acts, you'll hear that name, Herod, many times. And it's very easy when you read it not to know which Herod they're talking about because there's more than one Herod. Several men named Herod, and they ruled Israel over the years. The first and the most famous Herod is Herod the Great. He founded the dynasty and ruled from 37 BC to 4 BC. We are told that Herod the Great was really not a true Jew or a pure Jew by birth, but he was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. However, the Angus Bible Dictionary says, and I quote, he was a heathen in practice and a monster in character. End of quote. This guy, Herod the Great, had nine wives. Some people say 10. And he thought nothing of slaying his own sons or even killing his own wives if they got in the way of his plans. It was him, by the way, who had the infants killed in Bethlehem, as we read in Matthew chapter 2. So after his death, his territory was divided between his three sons. And their names were Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, And Herod Antipas. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah, that's why you must come to church every Sunday. Yeah. There are also other Herods by the way, who are named in the Bible, like Herod Agrippa the First. Herod Agrippa the First is the Herod who imprisoned Peter and James, as you read in Acts chapter 12. He was actually the grandson of Herod the Great. We also read about Herod Agrippa II. Herod Agrippa II is the one who persecuted and tried Paul, as you read in Acts 25. He was the son of Agrippa I. So all of these Herods had Edomite blood in them. And like their ancestor Esau, Esau, they were very hostile to the Jews. They practiced the Jewish religion, however, when it helped fulfill their plans of gaining more power and more wealth. Now, for the purpose of our story and the verse that we've read, we will focus on Herod Antipas. That's the one we read about. That's the one the Bible says he wanted to see Jesus. Remember, he's the son of Herod the Great. Who is Herod Antipas? As I said uh, previously, he is the one mentioned in Luke 38, 23, verse 8. He was the youngest of the sons of Herod the Great. In fact, when you read about him, he is called Herod the Tetrarch, or others say Herod the Tetrarch. I don't know what that means. and that ter- I, mean, I don't know how to pronounce it. But that Herod the Tetrarch simply means he was ruler over the fourth part of the kingdom. So it's his dad and the three brothers. He ruled from 4 BC to AD 39, and his rule was deceptive and selfish. This guy, Herod Antipas, loved luxury. He was very ambitious, to become a great leader. And he tried to style himself in a way that would appeal to the Jewish people. He even went so far as to participate in their national celebrations. <laughs> but the, the people were convinced, they were not convinced by this act, and they, 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 they viewed this as an insinc- insinc- insincere fraud. Interesting, the name Antipas, Herod Antipas, is a compound name, that name Antipas, made up of two words, the word anti, which means against, and the word P-A-S, which means all or everyone. Herod Antipas, therefore, the name Antipas means one who is against everything and everyone. And he really lived up to his name. Because this name tells us something about this guy, Herod Antipas. Let me tell you about his marriages. His first marriage was to the daughter of an Arabian leader. However, he divorced this woman so he could marry the ex-wife of his half-brother. A woman named Herodias. You think these things started today? I called Namsa. Tell your neighbor, I call Namsa. I'm not you I called Namsa. Now, taking the ex-wife of one's brother was not uncommon in those days. But Herodias was also the daughter of his half-brother, Aristobulus. So in Roman law, because this guy was a Roman, marriage to one's niece was permitted. But marriage to a woman who was both your sister-in-law and your niece was very unusual. So this guy really, Barcelona, he eloped with Herodias, the wife of his half-brother Philip, divorcing his own wife and sending her first wife back to the Arabian leader, the king of Petra. So this unusual marriage to Herodias obviously drew attention and criticism from John the Baptist, now you'll understand. In Matthew 14, we hear John the Baptist telling Herod, When you read in Matthew 14 verse 4, he says, it's against God's law for you to marry her. In the NIV, he says, John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. So boldly, John the Baptist warned Herod and called him to repent. John knew that the sin of a ruler would only pollute the land. And the example of a leader would make it easier for others to sin and that God would judge the sin. So we really must commend John because he was, very, he was very bold to do this. This guy would kill you at the drop of a head. But he courageously named the sin and denounced it. Instead of listening to God's servant and obeying God's word, Herod listened to the voice of temptation. plunged himself into terrible sin. Listened rather to the voice of his wife. And through the influence of his wife, Herodias, Herod sent his soldiers to arrest John and to imprison him. So he took John, put him in a fortress of Machiras, which we are told is located about 6.4 kilometers east of the Dead Sea. Now if you want to get the whole story, you can do it later on. It would be interesting to read with this background. Go read Mark chapter 6 from verse 14. Not now. Read it at home. You can just write it down. It's a very long story. But I will narrate to you. You note in Mark chapter 6 that it was Herodias, Herod's wife, who really held a grudge against John. And he's the one who used her power to influence the husband. That's why I tell couples, you don't need to collude in sin as couples. You can't just support your husband because he's your husband. wrong wrong. You can't support your wife simply because she's your wife. All wrong wrong. We've got to stay with the truth and righteousness. Look at your name and say I wonder why Utwoods So one day, Herod threw a big party for his birthday. And you know, you know, these days when we people party, you we will think we're partying. We don't know what a party is. Hey, these guys knew how to party. Their party didn't go for one day. It went for the whole week. Even for the whole month. They didn't just invite their friends. They invited even people from other parts of the world. And if you are a strong, powerful person, when your invitation came, nobody had the option to say no. Because if they said no and you are a king, you will just go and topple their kingdom and take it from them. So you had to come. And given his status and his wealth, he throws this huge, big party. He is in high spirits. He's celebrating his birthday. And the wife Herodias thinks, this is my time to get a revenge on John, who, by the way, is in prison at this time. So she, she speaks to her teenage daughter to say, you know, when the wine is flowing... And the people are dancing, and my husband is half intoxicated. I wanted to get up and dance in a lascivious, sensual, suggestive way. And dance before Herod. And I know him. When he sees you and gets, you know, <laughs> he, will make, he will want to make me a promise. In front of everybody. It's even more when the wine is talking. Because when the wine is talking, you make promises that you can't keep. So she knew that her husband would succumb to her daughter's charms and then make some rash promise. She also knew that if Herod made a promise, he would want to save face. He would want to keep what he said no matter the promise. I can almost see this going on, you know, dancing. And Herod goes, so she dances, and Herod, half intoxicated, says to her, whatever you want, I'll give to you. And so she goes and says to the mom, did you hear, mom? And mom says, yeah, uh, tell him that we want the head of John the Baptist. And so she goes back and says, publicly, I want the head of John the Baptist. And Herod looks at Herodias, says, hey, listen to what your daughter says. Ha, I'm going to you know how it goes. Am I not talking about what you don't know? And so finally, he gets John the Baptist beheaded, and they deliver John the Baptist's head on a platter. He's beheaded him. But then later on, he he starts hearing rumors about someone who was doing mighty works just like John the Baptist. And you know, he doesn't know what to do because he thinks, hey, this guy has risen from the dead. When he hears these marvelous works, he's not sure what's going on. But then later on, he starts hearing that another name. We don't know. It's, there's a guy we think his name is Jesus Christ. So his conscience begins troubling him. And he is in so much trouble that his wife and his friends couldn't console him. Because you see, the voice of conscience is a powerful voice. And it can be the voice that God uses to talk to you. And if I may advise you, when God speaks to you and your conscience bothers you, don't wait what other people think. Herod, instead of listening to his conscience, he then also determines to kill Jesus, just like he killed John. And it's in Luke 13 now where we read some Pharisees which were in the same plot as him. They come to Jesus and they, they warn him. They say, that guy wants to kill you. So they're in the plot with Herod, but you know, they're acting like, you know, they're on his side. When Jesus hears it in verse 31 of Luke 13, it says, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Then Jesus replies, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. Wow, Jesus! He's been a singer. See, this is what I like about leaders in Bible days. They were bold. They stood for the truth, even if it cost them their lives. Call the guy a fox? Jesus? Ha! A fox! was considered in these days to be the epitome of trickery and was usually unclean and infected with sickness. In other words, when Jesus called Herod a fox, it was the equivalent of saying, you are sneaky, you are a liar, deceiving, dishonest, infected, and a sick individual. But then also the word fox in the Bible is is in the feminine gender. What Jesus perhaps was referring to was Herodias, the real power behind the throne. Herod sat on it as a figurehead, but it was here. But in spite of all of this, Herod started wondering, who's this guy? Now remember, he comes from a long lineage of family members who had ruled and reigned for a long time. So in verse 8, our main text, when Herod saw Jesus, finally, this is just before Jesus gets crucified, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had made many things about him. He hoped to see some miracle done by him. So when Herod finally met Jesus, he tries to engage Jesus in conversation. But in Luke 23, verse 9, Jesus is silent. He doesn't respond. The Bible doesn't tell us why Jesus was silent, but we know from reading the scriptures that Jesus probably was thinking about what had happened to John the Baptist. Remember, when John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus was so hurt. Because remember, at that time, it's only John the Baptist who knew who Jesus really was. It's only them who recognized one another by the anointing and the power of God. And remember, Jesus and John were also related in some way. But even much more profound, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one who went ahead to prepare a way. He was the one who stood up and said, prepare you the way of the Lord. Let the mountains be brought down. Let the valleys be brought up. He was the one who was saying, he's coming. He was the one who told people, I am not the one. The one who comes after me is greater than me. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. And Jesus had said about John, of all the men born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Oh my goodness, they had an affinity for one another. They recognized that they were men of purpose, men of destiny, men who were hooked by God in ministry to work together. It was John the Baptist one day when he saw Jesus walking and people didn't know who he was. He's the one who announced Jesus. Jesus didn't announce himself. He says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So you can understand the pain that Jesus felt to lose someone who does ministry like you. You know, that when I look at the people I work with in ministry. My goodness. I look at you know my wife Manchester Regent you know she's also a fellow minister and every day my appreciation goes deeper because Sibasala when you work in ministry together ministry is not easy at times you have to lay your lives down we have some very difficult decisions with our pastors that we've had to make i remember when we built this church we had to sign off our houses i signed my house off and one of our pastors Bortifani Qoyia signed off his house yeah that if you don't pay off, they can repossess our houses. Oh no, people like that, they don't leave your heart. If you have any character about you, people like that mean so much to you. People who helped us start ministry by late parents, uh, last time I can look at number 18, and, and everybody around, come on, give the Lord a hand. I mean, everybody means a lot. So you can understand the pain that Jesus felt. And the Bible says when he heard that John the Baptist had been killed, he went away into the wilderness.
1: I don't know how many of you
0: process your pain. Some of us, when we hear such news, we want to withdraw into a cocoon and just be all alone. This is not a time I want anyone to come for counseling. Serious. This is not a time for you to come and ask me about the strategy for church growth. How? But even when Jesus was out in the wilderness to try and have peace, the people came to him. Yeah. He's a patient, but people are coming to him to act as a doctor. And he becomes a wounded healer. And Jesus, instead of focusing on his pain, the Bible says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion over them. And he began to preach to them. And he began to heal them. He began to do signs and wonders, pain and all. Oh, I don't know if you know how that feels. To stand on this pulpit, to preach the words of life when you are in pain yourself. Jesus. To encourage others when you yourself feel discouraged on the inside. To be a wounded healer. And Jesus... Preached. ah, oh, Jesus. But then, as his ministry went on, finally on the last day, Jesus gets to meet this man. So when he's, when Herod starts talking to him, Jesus remembers all that. And remembers how evil this guy is. So, so he's asking all these questions. Bombarding him with all these questions. He's trying to engage Jesus in conversation. This man who who has been influenced to kill one of the greatest prophets of all times. Jesus keeps quiet. But you see, Herod is still glad to see Jesus. And it's interesting because the text begins by saying, when Herod saw Jesus. This word saw means to behold It means to delightfully view. This word speaks of a scrutinizing and an examining look. To look with intensity to examine. In other words, Herod was excited, delighted to finally meet this man he'd been hearing about all these years. To finally meet the miracle worker he had heard so much about. Isn't it amazing? No matter how evil people may be, there's something in them that pulls them towards God. You know, no matter how many wrongs we do, there's just something about God that we find appealing. But then the text says, when you saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Very interesting. There are two Greek words that are used there. And what it refers to is extreme excitement. Excitement. Or someone who's ecstatic about something. In other words, Herod was hyper. He was hyper about having a chance to meet Jesus. That he was almost nearly jumping up and down on the inside. Oh, this tells us how well known Jesus was. How influential he was during his earthly ministry. But then it says Herod was also desirous to see Jesus for a long time. Because he had heard things of him. It means he had a very strong wish, a strong desire. It's a strong wish and a desire that he had for many years, for a long time, and for many seasons. Why did Herod long to see Jesus? Why? Well, Jesus was a name that Herod's family had heard for many years. He heard about several things. Number one, he heard about the supernatural birth. No one else had been born like that. Jesus had to be born by a virgin. He had to be born different from the way other people are born. Because since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says, through the sin of one man, sin entered into all the world and therefore all sinned. And through the sin of one man, the whole world became sinners. We we are not sinners because of our actions only. We are sinners because of our nature. And God had to devise a plan to have someone who will be born like Adam had been created before he fell. That is why the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. He had to be born in the similitude of Adam with a bloodline that has no sin in it. Medical science tells us that children carry on the bloodline of their fathers. A child in the womb develops her own blood system separate from that of the mother, but it comes from the father. So God had to make sure that this one who will be born, the blood in their vein doesn't come from a human being. And so God did a surgical implantation and the word became flesh and it dwelt in the womb of Mary and she conceived and became pregnant. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an amen? That's why the angel told Mary, this holy thing that you will conceive shall be called the son of God. He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us for he shall save his people from their sin. Herod and of this He wanted to just see this man, this man who has no sin in him, this man who was conceived supernaturally, born by a virgin. I want to see him. Wow. Herod had heard, secondly, about the attempt of his father, Herod the Great, to kill Jesus when he was a baby. He heard about this baby who somehow had escaped to Egypt and was not murdered and his father was wanted to kill the child i mean how does a whole king come up against a baby his anger was so fierce that he didn't kill one child he killed all the children from the age of two down and the bible says there was a cry in ramah that night cried for their children because Herod heard there's another king who's coming whose kingdom shall be no end and the government of God shall be upon his shoulders he shall be called Emmanuel God with us, he shall be called wonderful, counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father it says and of the increase of his government there shall be no end he didn't want that He was a man who wanted power, said, I've got to kill this child. Oh, Herod Antipas had heard about that, wanted to meet this guy. He'd heard about the parents slipping into Egypt, waiting for the right moment to come back. He'd heard about the ministry of this man when he touched the nation. And how the whole nation came to a standstill listening to his summons, listening to his preaching, coming under the power of healing and delivering power. This man who was transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost, one who was born in a poor family who worked as a carpenter, but when the Spirit came upon him, he was turned into another man. He'd heard about the exploits of this man How he raised the dead He'd heard about how he made the blind eyes to see How he made the deaf ears to hear He'd heard about this man How he had walked the streets and changed the water into wine He'd heard about this man How he had cast demons out of men He'd heard about this man who went to the demoniac of Gadara Who had been sick And who had been deranged for years and years But when he met Jesus That man became normal He wanted to see him So he's looking forward to seeing him because Jesus to him was a living legend. Now all of a sudden he's standing in the presence of this living legend. Unfortunately, his encounter with Christ did not change his life because Herod Much as he met Jesus, he wanted Jesus to perform miracles on demand. He thought it was DSTV where you can get a movie on demand. He thought you can just press a button to God, tell God to hurry up, no matter the condition of your heart, and God will just dish out blessings for you. And with all the large number of questions he posed, Jesus just kept his mouth shut. But then now, we come to the verse we were reading. After Jesus kept quiet, and he wouldn't perform any miracle, then all of a sudden, Herod changes his attitude. And he says, well, anyhow, you are nothing more than just a spiritual fraud. It's funny how Herod stood in the presence of Christ, and yet he was never changed. In the same way, it's funny how people can come to church on Christmas Day, sing about Christ, talk about Christ, and go back home the same way they came. It's funny how all over churches today, and all over the world today, were singing about the baby who was born. But to many, it's just a story. To many, it's just something that happened years ago but it never changes them. But Jesus changed society when he came into the world. He was so different, was a to the leaders of that day. When he met people who were sinners, he was kind to them. When children ran up to him, he interacted with them. When women who were looked and degraded in these days, and looked down upon, Jesus elevated them. Jesus redefined what greatness was by washing the feet of his disciples. And he told them, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. He was so different to the religious leaders who isolated themselves from the people of the day, that Jesus went to people's weddings. He went to people's parties. He mingled with the ordinary people. Until the very religious people even said to him, he is a friend of sinners and wine bibles. He hangs around with dirty, old, ordinary people. Ah, but Jesus affirmed those who are ostracized by society. The lepers whom no one would talk to, not only did he talk to them, he laid hands on them. He went to the house of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who was a crooked and a bad guy. But Jesus says, today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. When Jesus came, he changed society. He transformed society by going around and doing things that were so different to what was in those days. Jesus changed the then known world. And as I conclude, the only reason these people who encountered him were changed is the attitude in which they came to him. That when they finally met Jesus, they came with humble hearts. They came with faith in their spirit. They came with expectancy. They came knowing he's the only one who can help me. All those who met Jesus were impacted by him. The same way you can be impacted by Jesus. Right here and right now. Whatever your need is. Whatever your situation is. If you are here and you've been invited or maybe you've come on your own and you've never ever received Jesus as Savior of your life, today in this place, right now, you can do it. Those of you who are watching by television, right where you are, whether you are in a school, whether you are in a house, whether you are in a hall somewhere, you can receive Jesus in your life. If you came here burdened with sickness and disease, riddled with sickness and disease, we're going to take time afterwards to pray for you. If you are here, you feel downtrodden, you feel like life is not worth living. You feel like your life is going on a downward spiral and there's nothing that is there to pull it back into order again. Jesus is able to do something in your life. The only way is for you to come to him. Not like Herod did. But to come to him with a humble heart. To come to him like blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Come to him. Like the woman with the issue of blood who pushed away and said, even if he doesn't come my way, I'm going to go his way. Come to him like Jairus. Even if you're hiding and you don't want your friends to see him. Then when you come to him and say, Lord, my daughter is lying at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her. She shall live. That's why we've gathered here today to remember his birth more than 2,000 years ago. To remember how this baby who came into the world changed the destiny of this world and the direction of this world altogether. And today, your life can be changed. Your life can go a different direction. If only you will take the initiative to say, Jesus Christ, would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? My life is not going in the right way. I'm asking you to come into my heart to make me a child of God change me jesus i'm not happy with what i see i'm not happy with the direction of my life i've tried in my own strength but i failed but i know when you come into my heart you'll make me a different person Bow your heads everybody and close your eyes if you could remain standing please if possible all right just remain standing everybody thank you lord jesus our heads bowed our eyes closed please all over this place All over this place, please. If you say, please pray for me. My life is not right before God. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart. I've heard today, He changes lives. I'm not happy with the way my life is going. It's not pleasing to God. But I want to come to God just as I am. Please pray for me. Would you raise your hand if that is you and you need the prayer? Just raise your hand right where you stand. Thank you so much. Raise it high, raise it high, raise it high. All over this place. Thank you so much. See, this is what it, this is about. It's about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what this day is about. It's about a God who loved you and gave his son to die for you. May I ask all the people who raised their hands. I want to pray for you. Would you please just come from where you are standing? There's many of you. Just come from where you are standing and make your way to the front. And as you come,